Should we do it? Yes. Dun, 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 we don't really need dun, much dun, dun, dun. No, I, no banter. No banter. Nobody no say anything funny. No no fun. I could do my guitar VCS joke. No. Please don't. <laughs> you said, uh, good starting with the punchline, but honestly, you haven't made the joke worse. <laughs> the maestro, Ian McLaughlin. Off we go. <laughs> dun, 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 but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Nerdfest podcast. It is our end of year special and this week's nerds are... John Farthing, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, Ian Mayer and I'm Hazel Chandler. So today we are counting down our top three favourite things from the world of entertainment in 2022. It could be films, it could be TV shows, it could be games, it could be anything. We'll have to wait and see what the nerds have in their stockings. <laughs> it is our last episode of the year, so let's have some fun and start the show. Did you enjoy 2022, Ian? No. No. <laughs> oh, shit. Did anybody? No. no. It's better than 2021. It was, wasn't it? But, you know, I've had many things. Well, I got in. married in 2021, so I guess this year it was worse. Why? Better? Why? Why is it worse? You got married in twenty. 20- <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, this year's worse. But that means what? you've been married in twenty twenty two. It hasn't declined. I'm just saying the wedding was twenty twenty one. Okay, so that was the highlight of my life. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's five nerds, and it's a warm welcome back to the Ians. But we're slightly on edge because there's a very rare occasion. You don't know what might happen. It's all a bit Rick and Marty when there's two <laughs> similar Ians. If we touch, something happens. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> I would have been so aroused. <laughs> so five nerds, we've all got three of our favourite things. Going to be a packed show. Shall we start? Yes, yes. please. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with our number three pick of the year. Let's start with Ian. <laughs> My number three. Okay, number three. Okay. Which Ian though? Well, I think I have to go for Moonfall. No, okay, what? get out. You are... <laughs> No longer invited to this record. So if ever there was any doubt who was the evil universe, <laughs> I think it's the thing we now know. Just because it's so shit, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculously bad. It's one of the most worst movies ever made with the most money thrown at it. I just think it's beautiful. Did Moonfall what? actually come out this year? Yes, yeah. February. Yeah. God, it's been a long year, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we, we should celebrate the art of throwing money at things. No, no, (laughs) Elon Musk, no. Yeah, shouldn't we celebrate, you know, human endeavour as opposed to just, like, Gavin? Hang on, hang on, hang on. The moon, right? Right. It's not the moon. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually been there for a long time and there's things inside it that you don't know about. Just hiding in the moon. It's it's a beautiful movie. I think the script is is really well thought out. the actors, you know, the, the the cast are just amazing. I think it's Ian's a, had a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was smiling. <laughs> no, I just I want to celebrate all that is shit. <laughs> are you like right? Are you like sending a coded message to the Russians <laughs> or something? Because nothing of what you're saying makes any sense. It's just great to see uh, in this day and age that we can 
throw hundreds of million dollars at things and they still be shit. And I think, <laughs> and, and I think that's important. Do you think they knew it was shit when it was ma- when they were making it though? Did some kind of massive self delusion go over like the entire cast and crew? Like thousands of people must have been involved in making that film. Uh, maybe it was like the Emperor's New Clothes, and they were all like, "I think this is shit." But everyone else says it's great. So, yeah, you know, let's just play along and see what happens. I told myself I wasn't gonna like have a go at anyone's pick, and because it's, <laughs> it's their favorite and they're passionate about it, and they should be allowed to have their say on it. And then you brought Moonfall into the discussion, <laughs> and you can fuck right off. <laughs> Did you, do you have a good time watching it though? That's the question. No. You, you had an enjoyable two hours. I know, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the worst film ever oh, made. I get it. This is like John recommends stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's important to celebrate the uh, mistakes, the terrible mistakes that Hollywood makes, and we should embrace them. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. <laughs> My favourite, Ian. Please save us. Oh, Hazel. That was sweet. I'm gutted. <laughs> okay, my my number three, although mine aren't really in a particular order, but I uh, particularly enjoyed The Bear, which was a TV show on Hulu in America and on Disney Plus over here, which is about a chef whose uh, brother owned uh, like a, an Italian deli in Chicago and his brother died. And so the chef had to come home and like take over the family business. Now, this was so remarkably well made it's like film dramas in the 90s used to do but now it's on tv like something like rounders mm. or something this kind of like very well made very well performed i thought it was brilliant I thought it was amazingly tense do you remember uncut gems like a couple of years yeah, back? The adam, yeah adam sandler the bear is like that if instead of it being about a jewel deal it was about making sandwiches it is equally as tense <laughs> just set in a kitchen just absolutely superb. And uh, the lead actor, Jeremy Allen White, who's in the US version of Shameless, uh, you're going to see him in everything like coming up. I think he's going to be like a superstar. Yeah, I really liked it. Didn't love the ending, but then I read up a little bit. I thought, well, that's ridiculous, but apparently it's quite a common thing. Can we, can we spoil the ending? Let's not. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Apparently that is quite a common way of restaurants avoiding paying tax and so on. What's super cool about it is, um, it, because it's like people doing stuff in a, in a closed environment, like stuck in a kitchen, mm-hmm. they're forced together. It's all very human. It's really like kind of funny. And it's just sort of well-heightened drama in something which look, feels quite familiar. So yeah, I yeah. thought that was superb and would recommend it to anyone listening mm. to the show. Because this is actually good. This is a good <laughs> thing that rewards your investment of time, energy, and consciousness. Unlike some other recommendations. <laughs> I can mention. I enjoyed the uh, single shot episode. I thought that was really, really well done. That was superb and harkens back to something which nearly made my recommendations list, which is the film Boiling Point, uh, which came out this year, uh, starring Stephen Graham as a chef, a 90-minute drama done in a single take around a restaurant. I was listening to the director talk about that this week. They were meant to be doing it like a few more times. They only managed a couple of actual live performances because COVID shut down the, Mm. uh, the filming of it as they were doing it. He knew it was getting shut down. He didn't tell the crew or cast so they wouldn't get like tense on camera. Boiling Point is a, a cinematic feat amongst anything, but it's a really watchable film as well. We've been mm. meaning to watch that for months, but it just sounds so stressful. So we sit on the sofa on a night having had a day's hard work and go, let's watch something really, really stressful for 90 minutes and be stressed. Oh, yeah. I mean, your heart rate will, yeah. <laughs> will go up watching it from almost moment mm-hmm. one. Yeah, well worth watching. It's- having watched The Bear... I've fallen into the chapel. We've got quite a small kitchen and we're walking around. A bear trap. A bear trap, indeed. So when we walk through the kitchen now, I'll be like, behind, corner, 
What's it? Just, just me. These sexual positions. <laughs> corner. <laughs> corner. <laughs> just, what is this? The, cor- the corner is. Uh, it was cut from the Kama Sutra. It's too dangerous. Too dangerous. <laughs> to answer your question, no, no. Uh, well, there we go. Peter, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is this is going to hurt. Oh. Which is the oh, medical the drama after the corner and the, um, <laughs> yes, the yes, definitely. Uh, this is the sort of black comedy medical drama based on the real life experiences of Doctor Adam Kay, who adapted it from his novel, uh, and it stars Ben Whishaw as someone uh, someone who's just really trying to just make things happen and just struggle through each day when the entire system seems set against him, and he bends a few rules and gets in trouble and. It was really good at summing up how it must feel to be in that situation. I think one of our friends who's a doctor said, I don't really see the point in that show. All it did is write down what happened. <laughs> and you think, well, isn't that kind of good drama? <laughs> if you could do that and it's a gripping and it's funny, that should be what you're aspiring to as a writer, I would say. Mm, yeah, right was true. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen this. I'm vaguely aware of the book. Uh, he's a lot of doctor anymore, as you know. He's a full-time writer, author, mm. st- does kind of semi stand up show, but um, again, I just heard it was incredibly stressful and like. Well. It. I mean, it's funny enough to make. It's not an ordeal watching it. Yeah, you are very much on his side and drawn into it all and the drama mm. of it. But um, it's not an unpleasant watch. Have you seen it? Ian? I have, and it's absolutely brilliant. It is, and it's very visceral. There's a certain. Uh, is it a spoiler? I don't know. Let's just call it a C-section, which is one of the most unnerving yet funny moments <laughs> in the show. It, it is brilliant. It got a bit of criticism for that, didn't it? I think it was, there was that and uh, House of the Dragons about the same time. They're going, this is a bad time for showing pregnancies going wrong on primetime TV. Yeah, but one has an actual baby, you know, that you're yeah. trying to save. One has a dragon coming out of it. So. <laughs> Wait, which one was which? <laughs> I don't know. When the entire hospital was set on fire by an angry baby dragon, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was the uh, twist at the end you didn't want to spoil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John, what's your number three? So I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying I've struggled this year to think of things. I don't think it's been a, a classic year. Mm-hmm. I think TV's been better than films. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was really struggling with films, but there's been a f- quite a few TV series I enjoyed. I think probably my number three was probably the last season of Better Call Saul. Which was delayed both due to COVID and due to the lead actor whose name Bob Odenkirk. Do you want to do a clean of that? Uh, delayed both due to COVID and then due to Bob. O- <laughs> Fuck <sake. laughs> Boba Fett. Bob Fett. Boba Fett. Yeah, having a heart attack after a particularly stressful scene. Yeah, I believe he watched Moonfall. Nearly <laughs> <laughs> died. He, he just watched Moonfall out with his house. Fuck this. <laughs> but it's been going on for like six seasons and obviously it's finishing a story that was told in Breaking Bad so a story that's probably been told over a decade and it got the landing which a lot of people are very worried about um it's always difficult when you're doing these prequel tv series you end up in a position where you know when 90 percent of the characters are going to be at the end and sometimes that can lead to a lack of tension but particularly with Better Call Saul they had um Kim Wexler, like the co-lead, who wasn't in Breaking Bad. So there was a lot of tension there because I think everybody who watched the show kind of fell in love with Kim a little bit and were like, please don't kill her, please don't kill her. And they also, during the last season, split pretty much evenly between it being a prequel and a sequel. So we came up to the start of Breaking Bad while also at the same time 
seen what's happening during Breaking Bad, and after Breaking Bad, it dealt with that really, really well. It was interesting with the character because Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad was a unrepentant arsehole, really re- reprehensible character. And then Better Call Saul made a very good job over a number of years of making you fall in love with this character before he kind of became the Breaking Bad character, the, the point where you kind of didn't want to see his downfall. So the last season had quite a difficult job in trying to make you hate the character again in order to then give him some redemption. So it was kind of a very strange character arc of taking a reprehensible character, making him likeable, and then reminding the audience that he actually was a piece of shit, and then giving that piece of shit a redemption, which was quite a, a convoluted way of doing things. Oh, uh, the classic tale. The classic, yeah. The cl- <laughs> classic narrative structure. Um, but I think, it, I, I think it did that very well, and I was happy with the ending. So, so well acted and so well directed. And it's a shame, I think, that's the end of that universe for now, because I think there's more stories to be told there, but makes Breaking Bad actually more resonant if you watch that again, seeing that character, which is a, a, a very good trick. I mean, the only downside is you've got characters in a prequel playing characters who are 10 years younger whilst looking 10 years older. So there was some, you know, there was some wigs doing a lot of work and some faces casting shadows, particularly when you had some characters from Breaking Bad who were making cameos in the, the last season who had, let's say, aged in the interim. Well, that's time for you. (laughs) (laughs) Damn that linear nature of time. I just wanted to uh, say what Dan's number three would have been, uh, which is The Tragedy of Macbeth, which he recommended at the start of the year, and he calls it a visually stunning Shakespeare experience. Lowering the tone down with your insidious (laughs) culture. So my number three, I've only got one film on my list, and it is Elvis. Uh, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. And when I reviewed the film in the summer, I said it was my standout film of the year so far. And it has remained so, despite some tough contenders from some things that I've seen recently. Um, the Whale nearly made it onto my list. After Sun, which I watched just the other week, and that would be Andy's top film of the year. But it's it's stayed strong. So this is Baz Luhrmann's wonderful retelling of uh, some of, not all of the aspects of Elvis's life, but but certainly some of them um, told from the perspective of Colonel Tom Sanders, a.k.a. Tom Hanks. Um, I just thought Sorry, it was... Sorry, can you correct that? It's Tom Parker. You think of Colonel Sanders of KFC. Did I do that? I did that again, didn't I? <laughs> it's Tom Hanks, but Colonel... Sanders. No, oh, not Parker. Sanders. Stop it. Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen this bargain film, but... Bargain buckets, um, bargain buckets. Yeah, I, I want to see it before I die. It's on my bargain bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Right. It is told from the point of view of Colonel Tom Parker. The chicken guy. by Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I won't repeat everything that I said on the review, but I thought Austin Butler was excellent for a very, very difficult task, which is to play Elvis, one of the most impersonated men on the planet. Charisma charm sex appeal it was just electrifying it's on my list not necessarily for critical reasons it's there because i didn't look at my watch once i was just entranced throughout the whole film i'm not sure the film was incredibly well balanced in terms of did it show elvis's darker seedier side as much as it probably should have done but according to uh, Priscilla Presley, it really got to, this was, this was the only film so far that's shown his humanity and how angry he could get. 
uh, which I thought was quite important. That was the frustration of the situation Tom Parker put him in. Yeah, he's he being mismanaged, wanting to mm. travel abroad and take his tour to other parts of the world, but chicken guy. <laughs> He didn't stay exactly where he was. And then um, I think it was a heartbreaking moment. You know, he'd been at his Vegas residency for years and years and years and playing um, Unchained Melody at the end. Like, it it really did break my heart. So I don't think it's a perfect film, but and I also know that not everybody likes Baz Luhrmann's frantic editing style. But for me, it was one of those magical experiences which reminded Mm -hmm. me why I love the cinema. Like going to the cinema has felt odd for a couple of years now. And there I was like, oh, it's back. It's it's absolutely back. And that's why it's in my top three because it's always been on my mind so oh, I watched it oh, so like musical biopics always have those like really cheesy moments in like there's a bit in the Doors by a bit where like there's a very man's record like do 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 and then finally gets like the river when everyone goes wow yeah. and there's a bit in the, the the Carpenters one where um, Kevin Carpenters reading a review of the Carpenters and it says the chubby drummer and she goes chubby eh and then never eats again for the rest of the film oh, <laughs> so is there any moments like that in Elvis like is there a moment where like Tom Parker gets the 11 spices exactly right mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man was that entire build-up just... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. With hesitancy, let's go back to Ian McLaughlin. Well, uh, one of my favourite things this year has been not watching things, but creating things. And I have been keeping a, a slow eye on the uh, idea of AI art and what it can create for you. My favourite thing this year is Lexica, which is powered by the Stable Diffusion Engine where you can make a picture by typing in a prompt. And it's incredible what AI can do for you. If you put the right prompts, give it the right ideas, you can create really interesting pictures for someone who cannot paint at all or draw. And I find it incredibly exciting to be able to go, well, I want to draw a picture of, uh, I don't know, Baby Yoda in the style of Klimt with a baguette in his hand. And if you get it right, it comes back with the most amazing picture, which is incredibly beautiful. You can do it high detailed and all those kind of things. I think it's just amazing. Even though I know it's a cheat and I'm not an artist and I can't really draw and the thing's doing it for me. I think it's a really exciting way of creating new ideas and there's some amazing stuff out there. So mm. that's been my addiction for the last two months. And there seems just over the past couple of weeks to be uh, quite a lot of backlash against this stuff. What, what's the one that became big this week? Is it ChatGPT? Something yeah. like that. Um, and, and this is because the problem with these things is they pull from a, like a set of source material. Mm. And in this case, it comes from artists' work. Yeah. And there's a lot of artists who are like getting very pissed off that they were included in the data set mm. for, the, for this stuff. Mm. Uh, and so essentially paintings are being drawn that look like stuff they've drawn. And that's come from their own creativity. I, I think eventually the law will have to change in terms of how this sort of stuff gets treated. Um, do you feel guilty when you look at the picture of someone with a baguette you just created? No, I, 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 would, I would gladly pay a royalty to, to okay. this said inspired artists, but I just think the idea yeah. that you can uh-huh. create anything in your mm. imagination with a few prompts and ideas in your head is, I think, is, is, a, is a wonderfully exciting thing. I guess it depends what you use it for as well. If you're using it, say, to illustrate an article in the New York Times, which they would have perhaps commissioned an artist to mm. draw instead, then that's a very different situation to 
you know, you're making it for your own entertainment. <laughs> yeah, my own entertainment when I'm alone. So the backlash has got huge on this. There's uh, an artist, an illustrator, who's been a professional illustrator for some years, and she was one of the first 500 artists that, like, I think it was the Stable Diffusion model used. Mm. And she's going, they never had my permission. They have stolen years' worth of my work. And the march of this seems to, you know, this will replace me. Interestingly, there's a lot of AI production of text, production of scripts, dialogue, that kind of thing is starting to happen. There's loads going into art. Where there is a firm line drawn is the music industry. Who are going, mm-hmm. nope, straight off the bat. And other creative professions are going to need to do that. Which is actually ironic because one of the arguments about music copyright is a lot of music is to some extent based on what went before, which is mm-hmm. almost what these models are doing. I mean, and it's true with art, like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're modeling on uh, using film stills, like all this stuff. And it's inevitable there's going to be a lot more AI creative work, but the next few years are going to get a bit messy. You realise these movies they're going to generate are going to be like Moonfall, don't you? I think they'll look spectacular, <laughs> but hence my whole shot. plan has come together. <laughs> but yeah, it is disturbing and is wrong in many ways, but I just think it's a very exciting time, even though disturbing time, to realise that at last computers can do these things. We are very close to Arnold Schwarzenegger coming to your house with the Deliveroo. <laughs> We're going to get to your a... order, the, the chicken. <laughs> We're going to get to the point where someone, let's say John, can say to his television, "I want a Hellraiser TV show starring Nicholas Cage," yeah. and it will just appear. And it will just appear. Just appear. Oh. It's only a matter of time, anyway. Yeah. yeah. But that's my favourite thing of the year. It's just that that this controversy. I mean, technically, it's, <laughs> yeah, ama- it's technically te- it's, it's terrifying, yeah. but exciting at the same time. Yeah. Where's it going to go? I don't know. Have you seen the new show Inside Alcoholics Anonymous? Mm-mm. So obviously Alcoholics Anonymous, the second word is a clue. So what they've done is they've gone for the first time and filmed inside AA meetings, but they've used deep fake technology to change all the faces and the voices of the participants in the meeting to protect their anonymity. Yeah, it's an amazing way of using that, isn't it? Yeah. Using it for good instead of for evil, mm-hmm. like most people are intending to use it. Okay, so you've got like a, a room of 12... Alcoholics, but only one's a real alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> right, what are yeah, like one? a TV show. Is it? Like yeah. That? yeah. Can I see your voice? Can I see you buy a pint? <laughs> Twelve real alcoholics. They've got another person's face, which is not a real person. Okay. And what's the point of the show? So that you hide their identity. Okay. It's about exploring. It's not some sort of reality TV okay, show. So it's exploring. <laughs> yes. Okay. What happens in an AA meeting? It's, it's not the, like yeah. worst alcoholic gets voted out or anything. <laughs> It sounds terrible. That's what I do. Uh, Ian, you're number two. Pick. That's, that's a good. Uh, yes. <laughs> are, you, are you referring to your favourite Ian or the other Ian? No, no, no. You're number one, but can I oh, have okay. your number two? <laughs> Gutted. Thank you very much. So uh, my it's number beautiful. two pick of the year is um, is a film, and it's The Banshees of Inner Sheeran, which mm. I'm not sure mm. many people around the table have seen. So director Martin McDonough, the guy who did In Bruges, also a playwright, um, has made a film with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who he's worked with before, uh, Kerry Condon and Barry uh, Keon, amongst others. It's a tale set in a small island off Ireland uh, in 1923 when the Irish Civil War's going on. Um, two blokes are friends, they're best friends. It's a very small island. They bump into each other all the time. They go to the one pub. And one day, one Sounds of like them... Sounds like our life, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah. and, uh, well, let's, <laughs> let's see how your life turns out. Well, one day, one of them decides he's no longer friends with the other one and just doesn't want to see him. 
doesn't want to talk to him, doesn't want to discuss it. The plot could be a Father Ted episode. It's remarkable. It's one of the best acted things I've ever seen. It is beautiful. It is so beautifully shot. It's like a sort of windswept, rugged island full of like um, dry stone walls and so on. It looks like The Revenant or something. The acting, uh, Barry Keown, I want to say his name is. This actor's ridiculous. He's playing like the sort of village idiot here. It's a seriously amazing thing. And it's so, so funny and gets so, so dark. And it's not really about anything. You never get to the bottom of what this thing is about. And I, were, I was counting the first shots, like how many of them are just beautiful, like as beautiful as you have ever seen. And I'm going, what? Well, you just keep going. It's just this, like the craft that's been put on this film of what is a small story. The guy's a playwright. This could have been a play mm-hmm. very easily. Mm. The feeling of it, the sensation of it, the kind of laugh, then be shocked nature of it it gets dark (laughs) people it really does and never quite loses the humor as well Mm -hmm. it's just one of those like tonally amazing pieces it's yeah just a remarkable film yeah like Mm. definitely want to see it as soon as we can yeah it's coming on disney plus in about a week's time Oh, so great. it should be a Christmas day viewing, maybe, for all the family. It's definitely <laughs> yeah, Christmassy. I mean, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd definitely put it on Disney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's certainly <laughs> where I'd expect to see it. I was just swimming in that film. Just It was just washing over me. Stunning piece of work. All right, Peter, number two. Uh, yeah, my number two is The Outlaws, a BBC show. It's on our player. Seven strangers from different walks of life forced together to complete a community payback sentence in Bristol including like a socialite, a lawyer, a con man, a political activist, a doorman, a student, drawn into a plot concerning stolen drugs money. I just found it such a well-written, really entertaining to watch show. It hugely increased the respect I felt for Stephen Merchant, who I'd, mm. I'd seen the odd thing here and there, but not really kind of connected to him. And I think the fact he'd written this as well as appearing in it really increased my respect for him. And also the fact that they got Christopher Walken to be in yeah. it is amazing. <laughs> it's like this just little bit of Stardom walking around in a perfectly normal English housing estate. It is, it is just weird and bizarre to see that. Oddly, it's a bit like, what's that movie set in Scotland where Scarlett Johansson drives around Glasgow as an alien? In, in her, her skin. skin? Yeah. yeah. Again, it's sort of similarly incongruous in someone who is genuinely a star doing this. Yeah, I'm guessing there's less nudity in the There outlaws. is less nudity, especially <laughs> from Christopher Walken, thankfully. <laughs> But it is a great show. Um, some of the drug dealing is not particularly convincing from my limited knowledge of such things. Not how you would have done it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was really fun, really entertaining. Uh, it's had a second season this year and that was all really good. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. And like you say, like Christopher walking, walking around picking up uh, rubbish. Yes. <laughs> does he dance while they do it? Not really, no. Oh. I think he does ju- the odd little shimmy here and there. there. But it's just to see this huge star play this tiny role in the thing is just it, it's beautiful and uh, I think uh, Steve Merchant is a, a fantastic writer mm-hmm. I don't know what you mean about him because he's kind of from what I've seen of him he's played sort of a slightly annoying character or a bit yeah. of an idiot character yeah. Yeah. and I know he's like behind the scenes and, and a writer and stuff but on screen he's always kind of played that annoying guy that you just want to avoid constantly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this changes things yeah uh, and the other characters, things like the the socialite, I quite enjoyed her character and how she balances her public persona with how she actually is off screen and things. Uh, yeah, so it's really good. Excellent. I think most people would find it entertaining. It's a, it's a brilliant boiling pot, isn't it? You bring mm. together these characters who have nothing in common from huge different lives and then put them in and let's see how they rub against each other. 
All right, John, number two. Um, Celebrity Love Island. Because <laughs> <laughs> what I really like is when they throw millions of dollars at something just to see what happens <laughs> and it's shit. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <wonderful, isn't> it? <laughs> Moon forward. <laughs> um, I think my number two is probably another TV series which I really enjoyed, which was Severance. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm glad somebody's brought that one up. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So... What I can't remember is have we talked about it before on the show? Yes. We have, yes. Yeah, uh, I recommended I, it earlier this a year. A very brief recap of the plot. There is a company that offers uh, people the opportunity to separate their work and home lives into what are known as innies and outies. So if you are an outie, you never have to go to work. The other side of that, obviously, if you are an innie, it is all work all the time. You've got no memory of anything other than the office. Uh, one day, uh, a new innie comes into the office and is not happy with her lot in life and kind of slowly tries to unravel the mystery of what's happening. And at the same time, an ex-innie who has resigned get, tries to get messages into the office and the team of office workers kind of slowly try to uncover their situation and possibly try and escape. It was created or co-created by Ben Stiller, but I would say... It's Don't got, hold that against it. Uh, yeah. It's got comedic elements, but I wouldn't say it, it's a comedy. Um, it's got a great cast in there. Christopher Walken appearing for the second time on the list mm. as like a, a, an elder character who has a kind of quasi-romantic relationship with John Turturro, which again may lead to the outside world. And it just ratchets up the tension. It kind of becomes like a conspiracy theory almost a drama and thriller in the last episodes, but it never really loses the relationships between the characters. And I just think it's so well acted and well performed, um, beautifully shot in, particularly in the offices, the very sterile. Very clinical. Clinical offices, yeah. It's odd because it's like this sort of 70s version of what the future will be like, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Where everything's really clean. And yet, uh, intellectually, it's kind of like Brazil as well, <laughs> in terms of how you're oppressed by the office work. Yeah, I mean, we had Loki, which was Loki was last year, wasn't it? But that, it was kind of a similar thing with right. the the time adjustment bureau in Loki, like the. Um... So I have to create that's the time variance agency. Please get your MC new knowledge correct. <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Severance nearly made my list. Uh, I thought it yeah, was a superb show. Um, Adam Scott in the lead. Yeah, I, I've yeah. known him for more comedic roles. Mm-hmm. A, a kind of a guy who is lost. And he's done this procedure to almost like forget his past. I think yeah. he brought a lot to that. It was superb. Yeah. And again, one of the prettiest shows, I think, on TV. Mm-hmm. The texture of this show is amazing. Everything is well chosen. Like the sort of weird 70s looking stapler has been chosen to look a certain mm-hmm. way. Uh, yeah, just a, a sort of superb tonal piece. You know what I mean? It felt a bit weird. How you react to that, though, it'll depend how you react to that aesthetic. I think some, some people will look at it and find it hugely dull and drab. Whereas other people relish in every little tiny detail. Yeah. What are you saying about me, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, remarkable as well is it's quite a slow build and there's kind of teasing plot elements uh, every episode, but it never fully explains anything. And I was kind of wondering, is this all going to pay off in, in the finale? Yeah. Because I think it was announced just before the finale that there was going to be a second series. Like, oh, probably not going to get all the answers then. But the finale was one of the best finales mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It was absolutely brilliant. Like all of the slow build up and all the tensions really built up for me. Ian is shaking his head. Mm. I remember <laughs> I didn't I didn't love it after the first couple of episodes. It took a little while for me to <laughs> to warm to it and get get fully into it. Um, one just one note for the any sort of computer game nerds uh, listening to this. It reminded me so much of something like Portal or something oh, like yeah. the Stanley Parable, mm. where it's kind of like this hyper heightened bureaucratic 
kind of officeness yeah. and a, and mm. there was like a clear you know influence there i mean it would have been better if like the moon had been full of aliens or something <laughs> i'm sure but you know i i kind of got something from it so is that what was missing in it was poop <laughs> <laughs> i just i'm so tired of series that go on and on and you never really get any answers and you have to wait for season two i agree aesthetically it's beautiful the stapler is the most beautiful stapler <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. The, the, oh, is that a stapler in your pocket, Ian? Or are you just... <laughs> it's stunningly beautiful, and the characters are amazing, but I still, at the end of it, I just feel unmoved and left out and cold because I just go, this is, just, this is basically lost, but not on a beach. It's in a workplace, and it just it pisses me off. Moonfall, yeah. which, is, which is terrible as well. But at least they threw some more money at it. There's a fantastic TV show about Moon, and it is not Moonfall <laughs> for all mankind. For just... Okay, so Dan's number two uh, before my number two. <laughs> oh dear, uh, is uh, something we might be talking about later on. We'll see. Um, Andor. Um, he started trying to tell me about his <laughs> feelings towards that, but I suggest if you want to hear Dan's thoughts about Andor, go back to the previous episode because mm-hmm. it was a spectacular roundup of what that series meant to him. And very concise. Very concise. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Now I switched around my one and two moments before we started the record because uh, when I was prepping, I got more passionate about what was my number two. So I bumped my number two to number one. My number two pick is Bad Sisters, the dark comedy series on Apple TV Plus developed by Sharon Horgan. And it was the TV show this year that I could not wait to drop every Friday. It has 10 episodes in it and it starred as the sisters, uh, Sharon Horgan, Anne-Marie Duff, Eva Birthwistle, Sarah Green and Eve Hewson. And Kleist Bang played one of the best villains I have ever seen, a.k.a. the prick who starts out dead in the first episode. And the series basically flicks between the months and weeks leading up to his death and present day. Um, And it also featured uh, a couple of very suspicious life insurance brokers played by Darren McCormack and Brian Gleason, who have their own story and their own struggles. I thought it was absolutely brilliant it's not an original series it's based on a 2012 belgian series named uh clan uh which aired in the uk under the title uh the outlaws and the john paul character was referred to as de clute which means the bollock <laughs> <laughs> uh and yeah what an absolute prick i think part of the joy of this series was you, you didn't feel one ounce of sympathy towards his character it's who so died <laughs> It was a prick of monolithic proportions, of Godzilla proportions, if that gets on your level. Mm. Ian. How much time do you spend thinking about the size of Godzilla's? Yeah, tell me more about Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, the cast are universally brilliant. And even though the plot goes in many different directions, there's lots of things to remember. Uh, I felt I was hooked onto every single part of the storyline and I cared about every single character, which is hard to do in an ensemble piece. And what an amazing talent Sharon Horgan is. Like, I've, I've always liked her. Um, Catastrophe, which I think she also co-wrote, This Way Up with Ashling B. But here I saw her go through every single emotion, comedy being her defense mechanism. She's actually become one of my favorite strong female characters on screen. And I can't wait to see what she does next. And one of the things she's going to do next is Bad Sisters 2, Series 2. So 
Oh, right. Yeah. Does the Belgian original have more than one I season? I believe it's just the one, so they one have season. To but they go into fresh territory. Fresh territory, and I'm guessing a yeah, a new a new storyline centered around another prick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing, um, and what the sisters have to have to do to deal with it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I honestly I love this series so much. Such clever writing the best actors um, and it all came together in something that was so compelling. With the insurance guys, because uh, there's, there's one who's much more sympathetic than the other. Yes. But even the other one is to some extent doing it through desperation yes. and because his wife is newly pregnant and he's worried that he'll be ruined. His wife is heavily pregnant. Yeah. 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 Uh, did you feel any sympathy for him <laughs> or not? <laughs> um, I did a bit, actually. I think they did a good job at giving them a uh, purpose I didn't like, obviously, a lot of their tactics, um, but I, having understood the situation that they were in, you sort of rationalised it a, li- a little bit. It made him less of a cartoon villain. Yeah, yeah, less one-dimensional. I mean, obviously, the prick is a cartoon villain, but that's fine, and that works absolutely brilliantly in the Such show. A prick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought Kleist Bang was tremendous in somebody else's hands. That villainous character could just be someone that you you didn't like very much mm. but this one like this one like drew absolute hatred from you every bone in my body <laughs> yeah i don't think you can really be charismatic magnetic villainy you know like someone yeah. who is gleefully horrific yeah like he is because he's so so watchable i i think it's a heightened villain he's a very real character like i have met similar people to him even though I, I hope they haven't done the kind of things that he did, but from a personality standpoint, I'm, from I've a, done most of it. From, a mis- <laughs> from his levels of misogyny, wanting to silence people, I've met people like that, and it, I think that's one of the reasons why I hate him so much. <laughs> oh, such a prick. Anyway, <laughs> Hazel, I'm sorry. We're all sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right. So before we choose our number one choices. What are people's biggest disappointments of the year? Moonfall, uh, please say it's Moonfall. Ghosts Series 2. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Which is really sad because I absolutely adored the first season. I adored it beyond anything. It was just one of my favourite things ever. But Series 2, I found really frustrating because it didn't really have any strong stories. And then when they killed off uh, <laughs> one of my favourite characters ever mm. in, in such a quick way without any explanation... I just found the whole thing to be a, a real disappointment. So that was my disappointment. Oh, although I am watching the first um, episode of the American series, yeah. and that's all right so far. All right, essentially, everyone seems to have different reactions to these. I think I enjoyed the second season in some ways more because the first one felt still, it was hard to shake the being aimed at kids thing. And it took a while to kind of see that there was more depth in the characters and that developed over time, I think. So for me, if anything, it grew from season to season. Uh, I have watched the American one and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think people who absolutely adore ghosts will probably find it very hard to accept the different interpretations of the characters. I just think I was most disappointed because my favourite character in the whole thing was taken away. Oh, Sucked no. off, I believe, is the term. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when that happens. Any others? I was deeply disappointed with the book of Boba Fett, mm. um, which is everyone was. almost unwatchable. Yeah, it was terrible. In places, it's like the the concept. Remember Boba Fett? He was cool. What if he was an old man who wanted to sit down <laughs> in a bath? That's the, <laughs> literally yeah. that's the story you're gonna get. How about these mod characters? They don't fit in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. They don't fit in anything. 
And then about halfway through, it just became season two and a half of The Mandalorian. And got better because of it. It mm-hmm. was really messy and I think shows the kind of limits of the franchise-led TV like world we're living in, where things have got, you know, there's channels to be filled. Millions of dollars being spent on rubbish. Millions of dollars <laughs> being spent <laughs> on rubbish. Oh, hmm. The theme's being developed. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I have two. One was Snowpiercer. Which in its third season went completely off the rails, if you'll pardon the joke. Because <laughs> um, it was quite good for the first two, and then just in the third one just it was became... was a third season? Yeah, it just became tedious and boring. And... I, get, I give up towards the end of season one. I mean, again, ironically, it didn't go anywhere. Because it's about a train that just goes round and round the track and never actually gets a anywhere. A post-apocalyptic train know, that goes round and round, and they all have to yeah. live together on the train. Mm. It's like yeah, a re- it's reboot like, of Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other one was, and I know Hazel will disagree with this, but uh, The Time Traveller's Wife. I really enjoyed the first one or two episodes, but just it started to get annoying. The book and, is and brilliant. Yeah, the book, the book is, is fantastic. Is, I'll, I'll stick up for it, but only a little bit. Cause it was, <laughs> okay. it, it, yeah, I, I think it's the best adaptation so far out of the two. Because <laughs> the other one's terrible. Yeah, yeah, out of the film. I, I watched it every week and um, I, I thought the, the story that they told was coming across really, really well, but they certainly didn't get into the heart of what that relationship was really like. It was more, let's just go into this plot point. Let's go into this plot point. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm not going to defend it too much. But for me, uh, I just kind of liked seeing those characters again mm. um, from having read the book many, many, many times. It's a love story, isn't it? Yeah. What they will do for each other. Yeah. Um, in the face of unimaginable circumstances and constant worry, mm. the the question might arise: You know, is it worth it? Is it worth this this uh, this woman to stay with this man, even though she goes through torture every time that he disappears, and he might disappear for you know many weeks on end? Is it worth it? And the answer is yes for yeah. her. Yeah. But we never understand why from the adaptation that we the, do from the book. Was she groomed into that position aspect of it that's, that's a bit, a bit weird, uncomfortable? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they deal with that, don't they? I think well, I'm not watching joke myself, about with a one-handed joke. Yeah, um, mm. he's he's she's like um, stroking one of her ponies or something like that, and she talks about, "Oh, I'm just grooming it," and he's like, "Well, let's just not go into that territory." <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I think um, I like the way that you've talked about that in a disappointing way because. Um, the the source material is so so mm. good so yeah um, I think mine has to be um, given how much I loved Thor Ragnarok it'll be Thor oh, Love and yeah. Thunder yeah and I went to an afternoon screening in the cinema with um, people who were dressed up in Thor costumes and things and I didn't hear a peep from them I oh. think yeah uh, it was an afternoon screaming <laughs> yes no um, I just. I went from loving everything about Thor Ragnarok to seeing things in a different light because it felt so contrived and all of the run up to what could be very deep emotional human moments were made into a one liner and um, swept Mm -hmm. away very, very quickly. I think it has to be one of the most disappointing MCU films ever. Dealing with the fact that Andy might be right must be the hard part for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's part of me that's just like, just play the character. <laughs> no, I don't think he's right about Ragnarok. I really yeah, don't. I um, Ragnarok. These are two very different films, and it just the, the the tonal balance was really off for this film. And Russell Crowe, if he comes back as Zeus, I will. 
Zeus. Zeus. Uh, yeah, I, I will be not. Be, I'll not be happy. I thought mm-hmm. he was one of the most irritating characters uh, performances that I have seen in recent it times. It was definitely Harry Enfield, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a film so tonally all over the place yeah. as that. I was such a bizarre. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, Ian's looking at me like he wants to say it's entirely accurate to the comic books, and here's why. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Um, it's. Uh, the MCU is just this remarkable thing. Like, that it exists at all is insane to me that there's all these light link films. To I know what word is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do I. But you just need to embrace oh. <laughs> the tonal dissonance of these things because that's how the comics work. The balancing act it's managed is insane. How difficult that is has been proven by the fact that DC has just been absolutely failed to emulate it. So have you read the comic book arc that it's based on? Thor Love and Thunder is based on uh, the Mighty Thor comic book uh, mm. written by a guy called Jason Aaron. Jason Aaron is not a funny writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I haven't... He must be livid then. <laughs> well, no, it's... Um, actually, I believe he's executive producer on the film as well. <laughs> I think he's quite happy with this situation there. We're getting into a space where, because there's so much content, not everything is going to be for everyone and yeah. tone is going to be quite deliberately like, messed about with. Mm. Christian Bale seemed to be having fun. Yeah. Like, I, I thought he was an amusing villain. I'm not sure Christian Bale ever has fun. No, I think, it, <laughs> uh, it. I think, he, I think he actually did. I think, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's mm. there. If he's yeah. playing a character in a tonally silly film, yeah. maybe he's allowed to. I think the problem that I have is, why do I care about them taking Gore the God Butcher down when... He lost his little daughter. Uh, oh, he's right. And, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah uh, yes. And every god in this universe that they portrayed in this film is a motherfucking annoying little shit. And I just don't, I was like, oh, you know, all of the gods are being destroyed. I'm like, yeah, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> no, I, I, I tend to agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I also have to admit, I laughed every time the goat screamed. <laughs> yeah, me too. I did as well. <laughs> but still, it was shit. Yeah. All right. Are we done with disappointments or John? Um, you've got... I, I, I've got, a, yeah, my, my disappointment was Halloween Ends, the last in the Halloween trilogy. Were you just disappointed it had ended? No. Oh. It, so... it never ends with the same. <laughs> no, ends. I mean, the, 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 the pit which said it's the end of this series of Halloween Movie. films. But <laughs> first one, the 2018 one was brilliant and really strong reboot much better than it had any right to be, like a really good new start to the franchise. And then the two sequels, Halloween Kills was a mess. And Halloween Ends was just a complete whimper of a film. Were they different teams? Or? No, it was exactly the same teams. So this was kind of the story that they wanted to tell. Michael Myers was hardly in it. The showdown wasn't earned. Jamie Lee Curtis didn't really need to be involved. But it was just a shame to start off with something so strong and then for that goodwill to be squandered with the two sequels. Mm. I agree. Okay, our favourite things of 2022. Um, Ian McLaughlin, what has been your favourite thing? Ian too. <laughs> oh, I have a choice, okay. So I can have something very frivolous and light or something quite deep and beautiful. What would you like? Uh, I'm, I'm always a fan of going deep, All right, yeah. <laughs> deep and beautiful. That's my friend. <laughs> Uh, one of my favourite things of the year is a fantastic documentary. So, uh, Robin Williams, oh. the greatest improviser of all time, arguably one of the greatest comedians of all time, passed away in 2014 after taking his own life, uh, after finding out that he was very ill. And uh, 
What I'm recommending is a documentary called Laugh Until You Cry, which came out this year. It's on, available on Netflix and various other mm. things. It is just so beautiful. A bit of context for people listening online. The, this wonderful group of nerds, we all came together through improv. We like, tried out and played games and doing improv and stuff like that. And Robin Williams was born with this most incredible brain. His mind was in a, a constant state of flux. He could just come up with a thousand ideas at the same time. And to watch him working was incredible. So fast that he could even get his ideas out at the same time. One of the most amazing people, which really represents what to be spontaneous is about. And this documentary follows his life until when he was diagnosed, which we thought was Parkinson's disease at first, but it wasn't. It was uh, Louis body dementia was the actual thing that he actually had. The whole documentary is taken from the point of all his loved ones, his friends, his family, his neighbours, what an incredible person he was and how loving and how caring. And what I found really moving, and I actually cried watching the documentary, was that when you make a decision like Robin made, and I'm not advocating that anyone may make a decision like Robin had to make, but when you realise that the disease that you've got is going to take away the very thing that makes you tick. Makes you you. Yeah, makes you you. Then it becomes perhaps about having a choice over you and over your situation. And I just found it incredibly upsetting and incredibly moving. And really think you should all watch it because it's, uh, it's, it makes us think about our own mortality and, and, the, and the choices that we have in life. And I thought it was incredible. Hmm. My other was going to be Lego... Lego Masters, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> What's the documentary called? It's called Laugh Until You Cry. Is it funny as well, though? Presumably oh, yeah, it's about no, Robin Williams. I'm talking from a very sad, I miss him, I love him point yeah. of view. It's very funny. It's very life-affirming. Very, 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 very positive, especially for his family, his wife. Um, yeah, I think you should, you should watch it because it's, uh, it's, it's the story of a genius and how genius can be taken away. Mm. Wow. Lego Masters Australia. So it's a show. It's about right people. It's like MasterChef, but they build Lego things instead. It's genius. Watch it now. That was lovely, Ian. You've redeemed yourself in my eyes. Have I? Now level pegging again. How, how did I unredeem myself? What did I do? Moonfall. Moonfall. Piece of shit. I know it is, but I agree it's a piece of shit, but it's, it's, it's an important piece of shit. It's not. It is. It's important. All right. Ian Mayer, your number on, one Ian. choice of 2022. Ian won. In Prime. Let's go with that. Um, friends. Friends. The TV show. No. I'm speaking to you. <laughs> speaking to the people around this table. Are we about friends. to do a line from Julius Caesar? Why did you look at me when you said that? I did look at you. Did you? You're my friend. Am I? Yeah. I mean, kind of. <laughs> Aren't we in the golden age of TV? People keep talking about it. Uh-huh. Like, and it was a few years back or maybe even it's peaked. I think that's insane. The quality of content, the amount, you cannot watch everything that's recommended to you, like, even like positively super recommended to you by like people you trust. Because there's just so much good stuff out there. And this year there was a number of things which I could have picked as like my number one spot from TV alone. And it really has been TV few years for, you know, obvious reasons. Mm. Only Murders in the Building season two was remarkable. It was really, really enjoyable. It was like light, funny, immaculately produced. Just watch Wednesday, which I know Peter recommended. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny Ortega starring in Wednesday is going to be a superstar. I think there's no like doubt about that. She just sort of owns the screen and is amazing. Shout out to Emma Myers, who plays a werewolf friend yes, in it. Yes, she's great as well. The Sandman. Like, you know, an adaptation of a comic book from 30 years ago. 
as good as it could ever possibly be put on the screen. That was just like amazing. Severance, which came up before, like someone else's recommendation. Again, I, I really, really took to it. MasterChef Australia season 14. <laughs> clearly the peak of reality <laughs> TV shows. Um, for All Mankind. For All Mankind oh. is now up to season three. Alternate reality, like space show, which manages to be like a disaster movie every week, which is just insane. Like it's so well produced. You're never watching these crises going. That looks unconvincing, or like the effects are bad. It's just like phenomenally well made, and it's got a very human story at the heart about it. It's always about the relationships inside it. It's just spectacularly well done. As is my pick of the year, which is Moonfall. Moonfall, uh, which is <laughs> Andor, the Star Wars TV show from uh, Tony Gilroy, the guy who. Wrote the Bourne movies, directed the last one, The Bourne Supremacy. Screenwriter of like many, many years experience. He was brought into Rogue One during some filming difficulties. And according to a friend of mine whose partner does a lot of special effects, he basically did the second half of the movie. Mm. If you watched it, I didn't think that's how it worked watching it, but like it does start very kind of janky and messy and then just gets stronger and stronger as it goes on. Andor's insane. It's a Star Wars TV show, which is, you know, a space wizard franchise for kids that takes like very, very human stories, treats it all seriously and has shown how some perhaps recent choices in Star Wars have like taken it wrong within the Book of Boba Fett and within like the Mandalorian and within kind of the last movie, the sort of Empire Empire equivalents have been kind of a bit of a joke. They haven't been a threat. Why do that dramatically? You're robbing the stakes of the show. This is a Star Wars show, as I say, Space Wizards for Kids, that talks about the appeal of fascism. <laughs> it talks about how, how money is important to a resistance. It's very, very human stories and just like ridiculously well played. On all levels, it's huge, it's vast. There are over 90 speaking parts in this TV show, most of whom cast by like British sort of stage thespes or people off EastEnders who are coming, yeah. turning up, delivering their moments, you know, like perfectly. It's Tony, the fact they all take it seriously. Is well, really they good. do. And that comes down to, like, uh, the writer of the show had an idea of what he wanted. It's themes he's played with before. He's given, like, the stage and money to do it properly. And uh, he told every actor he cast, treat this like a Ken Loach drama. That's actually what he said to me. <laughs> it's like, treat it like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's grounded, it's real, it's emotionally resonant. And it goes through the whole production. I mean, it's special effects heavy because it's Star Wars, but like this used so many more practical locations. They didn't shoot in the volume, which is the tool which allows a lot of um, like sci-fi stuff to be done cheaply. It's a, kind of a 3D projection system. They built vast, expensive sets and then used them really well. You got to know these places to feel like really grounded logical world. Stunning central performances. Diego Luna is a remarkably likable, wounded character. This is the good end of what franchise TV looks like. Give someone who knows what story they want to tell and the skill to do it, the resources to do it, this is what you get. Hmm. I still haven't finished Andor yet, but um, going back to Sandman, I thought was a remarkable thing. And that's probably one of the only superhero type world movies that have actually made me cry my eyes out recently. No spoilers, but the episode when Sandman uh, meets with his own friend Death it's one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen on TV yeah. in a long time. I actually cried my eyes out at the end mm. of that episode. It was brilliant. That is like a, a seminal episode of the comic book, and they did it pretty much perfectly. Sandman, as a comic book, there's a, a wide arc that goes throughout the whole series, and then there are individual stories within the universe. 
and what I was really happy with in the first season is it did two of those. You know mm. what I mean? It took these individual stories. That, which is, uh, the comic's called The Sound of Her Wings, which was about, you know, death visiting people, remarkably well done. And Men of Good Fortune, which is about um, the Sandman meeting the same man again and again every century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how the world changes and also how it doesn't, just delivered with real kind of heart and commitment. Yeah. Good things done well. He's given the gift of eternal life, isn't he? Absolutely. And then, yeah, and it's, yep. it, it's brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, you're number one. Peter. Okay. Uh, yeah, from something that is very much quality drama to something that's not so much quality, but more about just pure unbridled fun, which is um, Peacemaker, mm-hmm. which I had a great time with. It's the Suicide Squad spin-off created by James Gunn, where Peacemaker joins a team trying to eliminate parasitic butterfly-like creatures who take over humans, which, you know, <laughs> I mean, it could happen to anyone, couldn't it? <laughs> And it's it's just really good fun. I just found it really enjoyable, despite the lead character is supposed to be rather overly right wing and kind of trying to be better. And they kind of make that work by making his dad, played by Robert Patrick, an absolute bastard. Mm. <laughs> and that really helps you see the lead character a bit more sympathetically, I think, and sort of see why he became what he is and appreciate how he's trying to change what he is. But then you have just a completely silly story and it's just great fun. And probably the best thing about it is its title sequence, which every <laughs> week would sit there and just laugh our heads <laughs> off at all of the cast. Whether they're dancers, not dancers, whatever, having a try at dancing and doing this sort of choreographed opening sequence. And it's <laughs> so funny. Is it a different dance every time? Same dance every time. But, you know, you, you see the same thing again and again and enjoy it all over again mm. in Enjoy That's different, all different and subtle ways. Yeah. It has been uh, recreated several times at Comic Cons by cosplay. Dancing <laughs> yeah, sequence, which uh, is remarkable. I think Robert Patrick in that was one of my favourite performances of the year. Mm, mm-hmm. Just over the great. top evil, but with a, a glint. Yeah, And John Cena's great as well, isn't he? So, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, you kind of been... Can you be judgmental about ex-wrestlers as actors now? Because between him and Dave Bautista, you've got uh-huh. two that are kind of yeah. fairly well-respected now. Are mm-hmm. you saying Hulk Hogan wasn't good? In Mr. All I'm saying is the Mr. Rock. Nanny. <laughs> no one could have saved that movie. The Rock, obviously, but I think The Rock you know, is more an action hero than an actor. Um, there's a second season they announced has been ordered. They announced back in February. But if it does come out, it won't be till maybe the end of next year. Uh, maybe the year James after. Gunn's a little busy now. Mm. Thing, yes, because now James Gunn's essentially being put in charge of all DC stuff. Mm. Because DC has been a mess for years, basically. And especially the sort of crossover between TV and DC. movies. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, a new broom will do something good and there won't be too much fallout on things we wanted to see more of. I think DC would do well not to try and emulate Marvel. Mm. Yeah. Find good stories, don't worry about linking them up. Joker. What? That's their model. That's what they should do. <laughs> but that's standalone, yeah. standalone, well, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree as in standalone films with someone with like an, an idea mm. of what they want to make. Absolutely. Something really yeah. dark, really disparate, really dystopian, a road little thing rather than all the stories weaved together to create a big arc that needs to be standalone. Yeah. John, what is your number one? So I'm going to go a bit left field and maybe slightly out of the nerd wheelhouse. And I'm going to say my number one event this year was um, the Glastonbury Festival. Because I don't like, I don't talk about music a lot on the podcast, but like 
music is probably equally as important as uh, film and TV and stuff. I'm a, a big music fan and I was lucky enough to go to Glastonbury Festival this year and it was the first one for three years. So we had these tickets that we had bought in October 2019 to look forward to going to see in June 2020 and then... I think something happened around March time. I can't quite <laughs> mm, remember what. Yeah. There was a... We're all trying to forget. Mm-hmm. So they cancelled the 2020 festival and then they said, we'll roll your tickets over to June 2021. Great. Something carried on happening, I think. <laughs> Maybe didn't get sorted quite as quickly as they thought. So by the time we got there, it had been nearly three years since we'd bought the tickets. And it was just so joyous to just be in that field again and to feel like, everybody coming together and yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the uh, that's the uh, the soggy biscuit field which is <laughs> <laughs> and you could just feel like everybody relaxing and feeling like they could have a good time for the first time and it, it was just beautiful and a lot of it was on tv as well so quick recommendations for watching it on tv paul mccartney was amazing um is it Still on TV or was it's it still, have a, have a so shelf life? A few of them are on the BBC, but YouTube seems to have everything. Wet Leg, who have just had this insane couple of years. So they were booked and they won a field that was much too small for them, unfortunately. But they're a band that have seemingly come from nowhere to be sort of world famous and a, a number one album. And me and Ian, too, were supposed to be going <laughs> to see them. We were. And we got COVIDed. Yeah. So that was that was a, they a are brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By some miracle, I do know this band. That's mm-hmm. Not a name the, you forget. The, sist- no. the sisters, don't they, from the Isle of Wight? I don't think the sisters. They are from the, the, the both from the Isle of Wight. Friends from the Isle of Wight. Yeah, and they're just like super brilliant feminist post-punk rock mm. thing. It's just like the most refreshing thing I've seen in the music scene in years. And uh, Pet Shop Boys was just a big, silly, massive party that everybody enjoyed. Wolf Alice, Idol, St. Vincent Lord. It was like an amazing lineup, and even things like going to some of the smaller stages at two in the morning and seeing bands like Elvana and Pigs, 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 who are a local band from Sunderland. I'm going to edit one of those <laughs> off just to annoy you. It's seven. I'm not sure I entirely got it right. Um, and just so happy to be back there after a, a shit couple of years. Ugh. Made me very, very happy. I can't believe your favourite thing is people. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's number one was everything, everywhere, all at once. He describes it as absolutely sensational cinema. Couldn't agree because I got a massive headache watching it, but. (laughs) Um, All right, so my number one it is the seven foot tall green lawyer herself, She Hulk. Oh. Uh, now, I know the show caused a lot of controversy and split us nerds right down the middle for those that liked it and those that hated it. I absolutely loved it. I love the bravery. I love the conviction. I love the creativity. Marvel Phase 4 for me has been fairly hit and miss on the film side. In terms of TV shows, WandaVision takes the crown, followed by Hawkeye and Moon Knight. I'd put She-Hulk as a close second to WandaVision. At the heart of both shows are women who've been dealt a very bad hand in life they've experienced trauma and to certain extents they're taking back control so i know some people think that like she hulk is all about how you know these shows hate men i didn't get that i think it shows how terrified some men can be of powerful women uh nasty woman if i'm gonna evoke uh, what ashley judd said at the women's march in 2017 
there's some criticism as well of the pace of the She-Hulk series. Um, and one example being Jennifer Walters like bouncing back really well <laughs> from being infected with Hulk's blood. And Hulk even said himself it took him years to accept what happened to him. And She-Hulk was all about trying to find the good things about what she had become. And it's just the reality of the world that she lives in and certain people within it that made sure that she wasn't allowed to do that. What I like most about the series is that even though she's a Hulk, she's relatable. And the episodes were centered around very human stories. I think that's been a theme of the podcast. We really like the human stories. If anyone's lost a loved one, one division will speak to them. If anyone's gone online dating or suffers from a misogynistic work environment or imposter syndrome, like She-Hulk will be uh, quite a relatable series for you. She-Hulk took charge of her own story in the final episode, smashing through the Disney Plus screen and demanding something better, something more appropriate that didn't involve someone else overriding her own story. And I know some people hated it. I think the aim in doing it was to stop a bad version of the finale and question whether the audience really wanted what it thinks it wants. But for me, in terms of how it landed, it was more than that. I love the message that if you don't like the story that's being written about you, you goddamn have the right to change it. And I have a very odd comparison. Okay, just bear with me. Matilda. Dan recommended it on the last episode. She's got a key song uh, called Naughty. She wonders why Jack and Jill and Romeo and Juliet didn't just change their story. And sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty. If you always take it on the chin and wear it, nothing will change. I think this show was about that. It was about standing up, saying something, having a lot of fun and mischief along the way, like she smashes the fourth wall and bad endings. And sometimes Matt Murdock um, <laughs> <laughs> she had a lot of fun saying a great deal. And uh, it's top of my list because I love everything that she stands for. I related so much to her. And I've, I don't know why I've not mentioned her until now, but that is down to Tatiana Maslany and the brave content creators behind this series. My number one. Interesting. Superb. Superb. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I I wanted to like it because Tatiana Maslany has always been so great in everything she's in. It felt like a series where it's almost up to the viewer what they take away from it and whether they enjoy it or not. As in, there's lots of really good bits in it and there's a couple of other bits that don't work so well. And it, you got the sense that it wasn't trying to tell a story that fitted well within the 23 minutes or however was mm -hmm. allotted to it. I often felt stories didn't quite end or didn't follow a story arc properly for the people within that episode. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there, were, there was a lot to like. So like mm -hmm. I say, it's almost up to you whether you like it or not. Yeah. Well, everything is. Mm -hmm. I get the criticisms. Yeah. I really, I really do. And at one point, She-Hulk wasn't even in the list because I just thought, yeah, was it that good? But then I thought, I'm going to base my list based on how it made me feel, how mm -hmm. much I mm -hmm. passionately enjoyed things and how much it spoke to me. And it's got to be She-Hilk. Hilk. That is a great recommendation. She-Hilk. Like, honestly. And, and representation in media is like super important. Something as broad as the Marvel Universe should be doing it and is doing it. Mm -hmm. And so for something to like hit the note that hit you, mm -hmm. perfect. Great. Fantastic. And that's one of the first spoilers that I'm really looking forward to because I've not watched, I've only watched two episodes of She-Hulk. Right. 
Um, she smashes Matt Murdock. Yeah, but that, that's really good because because <laughs> after two episodes, I was going, oh, I'm not quite pleased with the way they're representing the She-Hulk. It felt a little bit kind of Shrek Disney yeah. looking kind of thing. Yeah, I've got to enjoy that, that. But I'm, now I know yeah. that we're heading towards something much more meta than and that. And this I'm is the thing, to. like, I, I don't think to be a strong female character, you've got to be impenetrable. Um, she shows her vulnerability. Stop it. Um, <laughs> she shows her vulnerability. And I think t- it's very brave to be vulnerable. That's like, that's my whole mentality. It's why I talk a lot about mental health at, at work. And I talk about like my own personal experiences, because I think if anyone else can relate to it and they, they will then know that what they're feeling is perfectly normal and it's, and it's common. This show really showed the vulnerable side of her. And I think sometimes that gets mistaken for not being feminist enough. And I don't think for me, that's not what feminism means. It means just equality and being allowed to bring your whole self to something. It's a perfect writing note. She's invulnerable and also vulnerable. Is mm. so deli- it's so deliberate. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, if you're not seeing that, you're missing it. And yeah. that's, that's great. Didn't work. Didn't work for me. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't hate it. I enjoyed yeah. it. I thought it was fun. I didn't like the ending when I watched it, and then now Hazel's talked about the ending. I kind of go, oh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't. You know, you kind of switch me around a bit on the ending, but you know, the, the, there's the nerd in me that says, how does that work in terms of the yeah. MCU? It breaks a lot of things. Yeah. I'll, I'll mm. fully admit that it breaks embrace. a lot of things. But <laughs> definitely allowed yeah. in comics. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. am so tired of canon, aren't you? Yeah. It's like, oh, it doesn't work in, in terms of the... There this, is. You know, it's just like, just break it. I don't care. Just break it. Break it. It's a famous comics writer, I forget which one, who basically says, um, canon is the best writers in comics being held prisoner by the worst. <laughs> and so you've got you've to have a bit of space. You've got to let people do... You've, yeah. you've got to let people work. And this is why Marvel's winning. On that note, shall we wrap up for 2022? Yo, 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 it's the end of 22. What are we all going to do? We're going to go really slow and get to the end of the motherfucking show. That actually came off. Well done. (laughs) It wasn't in my head. Halfway through, I was going, this has got to go somewhere quick. All right, well, that is all for this episode of NerdFest. Thank you very much for listening. As it's nearly Christmas, we're taking a slightly longer break before our next episode release, but we'll be back in January 2023 with more nerdiness and maybe a preview of what's um, coming out in the new year. So if you're not already subscribed to NerdFest, make sure you are so you don't have to lift a finger when that first episode drops in the new year. And John, there is a reward, isn't there, for all new subscribers? There is. People may not know that uh, in real life I'm a lawyer and I will create for you a restraining order, meaning that Ian cannot come within 100 feet of you with a DVD or Blu-ray of the film Moonfall. That's got to be worth it. (laughs) All right, uh, until next time, you've been listening to... A man who has been recording this podcast for a thousand hours and is wondering what his out he is doing. A man who's going home to create his own artificially intelligence produced photograph of himself naked. Oh, uh, a man who never wants to hear about Moonfall again. Mm. A man who's starting a space resistance while selling uh, space antiques. And a woman with a name with two N's and one Y, but it's not where you think. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
listening to Joe Carr, genuinely spent the best part of a day thinking Robbie Williams had died. I'm wondering oh. why everybody was <laughs> like, I mean, obviously that was sad, but thinking everybody's <laughs> going, and then I reread, I didn't realise I'd made a terrible mistake. Oh, <laughs> Does the group and the world want to hear my worst single second as a human being? Okay. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. It's a safe space. You I, and <laughs> several hundred other people. No, okay. So, um, went back when I used to like live with my parents and stuff, I was lying in bed one Sunday morning and I heard my mum say uh, to my brother, you'll never guess what, Michael Hutchins has died. You know, the guy out of NHS. Mm-hmm. And I thought she meant Mick Hucknall. And I thought the word bonus in my practice <laughs> <laughs> and there ends my oh. worst moment as a human being <laughs> <laughs> should that go in I don't know 